today we're going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. So uh, after I finish reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us um, to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let me pray. Uh, dear Lord, I just thank you um, for this time that we have today. Um, I thank you for the message that we're about to hear. Um, please give um, Cliff the power to preach that message with power. And um, I hope that it goes into our, our ears and we hear it and we continue to live it throughout the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Jamal. I don't know what it is about hearing the word spoke in a strong English accent. <laughs> it's like it just means more or something. I don't know. Man, if you don't have um, a Bible with you today, please raise your hand. We have um, Bibles in the back. Ladies are going to uh, hand those out to you. Um, we stand on this word today because we believe it's the word of the Lord. Um, this is where we get all of our authority here at New King Church out of this. Um, so I want us to look at this text today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verses 16 through 21. Please go there. I want you to look at where I'm getting what I'm saying, okay? Um, we're going to look at the text. Last week, um, Ben talked about knowing God. And we're going through this series based off the book. And the reason we're going off this series based off the book is because it's wrapped around truths in the Word. And that's where, what gives that book significance. Um, so he talked last week about intimacy with Jesus. We looked at Luke chapter 9 and these three guys that came to Jesus. And Jesus' message to them was, follow me. And Jesus goes right to the heart of these three guys. He knew what each of them needed to hear. Message, follow me. The requirement was, give me everything you've got. Jesus, he pointed out, Jesus can't just be a Savior and not be our Lord. He has to be our Savior and our Lord. Um, man, it was so good. So we wanted to start there. It's got to start at the heart level. Um, and then, to, so today, we're going we're gonna to look at this text and see, what is God at work doing? What is he doing in the world, and how do we come into that? Um, 
So our aim today is to pull out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, pull out of this and see what is God doing and how is he accomplishing what he's doing. And then we'll also look at three implications that are in this text. They're not, they're not exhaustive, but they are uh, implications that come from God doing his work in us as his children. So that's where we're going today. Um, man, I'm excited to be here. It's awesome to look out and see everybody. Let's pray, and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for today. This is the day you have made. I don't know what all you're doing right here, even in this room right now, but Lord, I submit my will to you, and I pray that you would speak through me and use me as you want, Lord. I pray that nothing would come out of my mouth that you don't want to come out. And Lord, I pray that Every single person here would see your beauty and your grandeur on display through your word and what you're doing in the world right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's jump into it. Open your Bibles if you're not already there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think it's on page 966 if you just got a new, um, a new Bible. Here's what's going on here. here. This is the background. Paul is the author, and he's writing to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. And they have, to say the least, it's a complicated background. There's a, there's a lot going on, okay? He, on his second missionary journey, Paul, God reroutes Paul, and he goes to Corinth, and he plants a church. He spends about a year and a half with them, and um, he leaves. And he, he gets word back. Things are going on. False teachers have come in, and they're trying to preach a false gospel, saying that you have to follow the Mosaic law to be accepted by Christ. And in so doing also, they're cutting Paul's authority as an apostle out from under his feet. And also, by doing that, they're cutting God's authority um, over their own lives out. And they're just not believing it. So Paul writes back to them um, on his third journey, his third missionary journey. He gets word of all that's going on. Um, He's going back through Macedonia. And then he actually gets word that some of them have repented after he writes the first letter, which is actually the second letter, but don't worry about that. He writes 1 Corinthians, what we know is 1 Corinthians, and some of the church repent. They repent for for saying, you're not God's apostle and and believe in this false gospel. But not all of them have. And so as Paul's making his way back down through Macedonia to Athens and over to Corinth, he writes 2 Corinthians to them before he gets there. And so that's where we are, and that's what's going on. so let's look at verse 19. This is where we're going to hang for majority of, of the morning. Verse 19. Because this shows us what God is doing. And we're going to unpack it. We're going to look at it um, in detail. But verse 19 says this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's where I want us to hang just for a second, just for a little while. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We're going to keep... We're going to, Keep going, so don't worry. But that's where I want us to hang. That's what he's doing. Um, as we read the Bible, I, I want us to, we're going to unpack four terms right here in this, what we just read. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We're going to unpack four terms. And as we're reading the Bible, as you're reading the Bible by yourself, as you're hearing other sermons, as you're listening to me right now, we have to know that God wrote his perfect word through imperfect people. These people are writing to people in a place, with a, in a time, with a specific purpose. And our goal as we read scripture is to pull that intended purpose that God had for those people at that time out so we can apply it to our lives correctly today. 
See, see what's going on there? So that's what we're doing. Um, and that's why we're, we're going to break this down here. So first, God. Let's start there, right? What better place to start? God. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So we're going we're gonna to lump God and himself. We're going to look at whose work this is. Um, and verse 19 tells us two things about God. It tells us that God was the one initiating the work, right? God was reconciling the world to himself. And it says the world is the one, or God is the one the world is coming to, right? So God's initiating and the world's coming to him. The world is not reconciling God to itself. God is reconciling the world to him. So our understanding of God, we, we throw that word out there and we're coming from so many different places. And I don't know how or what has helped construct your view of God. Some may be very accurate, but some may not be accurate at all. Right? So I, our understanding is, is very important. Um, and it matters who God is because God's work will be only as good or successful as the extent of his, of his rule, of who he is. Okay, let me say that again. It matters who God is because God's work will be only as successful as the extent of his rule. If we don't know the magnitude of God's reign, then we'll immediately limit our understanding of just how amazing his work is right from the beginning. So let's start there. Listen to how the Bible explains. I'm just going to read through these, and I'll give you the reference, and you can go back and listen to it or come up and ask me. Listen to how the Bible explains the extent of his rule. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. God works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. The psalmist says, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. By the breath of God, oh, that's Psalm 104, by the way. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. Lake Champlain. He loads the thick cloud with moisture, the clouds scattering his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, Job 37, 11. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or authorities, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the, on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. Y'all get that. I haven't been a full, summer, a full winter here yet. He scatters frost like ashes. He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. The lot is cast, that's Psalm 147. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 16:33. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it to wherever he will. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago about, with a guy named Tim Keller. He's a teacher and preacher in New York. Tim was talking about this moment in his life that just changed his faith. He was, he was talking about a time where he heard this woman sharing with him the magnitude, and a lot of people sharing with him the magnitude of God. And I want to get this, I want to get this right. He said... He said that, or she told him, she said that if the world, or I'm sorry, if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was the thickness of a sheet of paper, 
then the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Did you know that our galaxy is less than a speck of the... I'm sorry, wait. Hold on, let's back up. Let's back up. Okay, okay, here we go. She said the distance between... I'm not, I wasn't science. I was not me. Maybe it's a really bad illustration. I don't know. We'll try to get... Okay, she said the distance between the Earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, right? Was the, if, she, if that's a thickness of the piece of paper, then... Did you know that the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high? Okay? And did you know that our galaxy is less than a speck of the dust in the part of our universe that we can even see? And did you know that the part of the universe that we can see might be the smallest fraction, as it were, a speck of dust compared to all of the universe that is? That's unfathomable. Humanity is just trying to scratch the surface Scratch the surface of all that God has created and sustains by the word of its power. Amen. Come on. Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who created these? He who brings out their hosts or stars by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. That's whose work we're talking about today. That's how far God's rule and reign reach. So what's the actual work? Look at the verb in verse 19, reconciling. What does reconciling mean? Well, in verse 19, the Greek word generally meant changing one thing for another. Okay, most commonly it was used relationally to describe when an enemy was restored as a friend. Okay? So reconciliation was the restoration of a relationship. When I get in, a, in an argument with my bride, usually because of my stupidity or something I've done, um, we, she's not changing, well yeah, let's just be clear, she's not changing me out for someone else, okay? <laughs> she's not changing, changing me out, although she probably wishes she could sometimes. She is through forgiveness, we're restoring the condition of our relationship. We're restoring that back to complete bliss, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time Paul uses the word reconciled or reconciling in the New Testament, he's explaining how a broken relationship was restored to something better. Oh, amen. Let's look at world, the word world there. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Who is the world? The world in this verse is translated cosmos in Greek with a K. It's where we get our cosmos with a C. Um, but in context, Paul's using this to describe and refer to everyone under the sun who's being brought to himself and restored. All over the globe, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that he's drawing to himself here. That's who we're talking about. That's the world. Not just people from Jerusalem, Corinth. Not just, not just these Judaizers coming in saying it's just them. It's everybody that's being restored. So why is it significant that God is reconciling the world? Because the world consists of rebels and enemies of God. Where do we get that? Look at the text. 
Verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The world has rebelled against God and his perfect design for them. You see the connection of the world and their trespasses? You see that? That's how we know who the world is and what's going on with the world there. It's the world's trespasses or their offenses or rebellion against God's holiness that God is not counting against them. It's worth also pointing out here that, that those who have offended him were also separated from him because he's bringing them to himself. Romans 1.23, in Romans 1.23, Paul explains this rebellion of humanity towards God as exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man. The rebellion of humanity exchanging the glory of the immortal God, that God we just talked about, for images of mortal man. Rebelling against God is us exchanging the riches of God for rags of ourselves and therefore becoming his separated enemies. Romans 5.10 says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. And we see this through the creation, through the creation story in Genesis. Don't we? Think about it. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God to be image bearers of himself, little representatives of God everywhere, perfect, perfect unity with God. Then they exchanged God's best for what they thought was best, or in other words, they exchanged the one true God to make themselves try to be God. They exchanged riches for rags, and therefore they were separated because they did this. They were no longer in perfect union with God because they were enemies of God's perfection. He had to cast them out of his presence, out of the garden, in order to preserve perfection and holiness. If he had just overlooked this fatal flaw, he'd be no different than you and me, unjust to perfection, right? The separation from God is what the Bible calls spiritual death. The result of rebellion in the garden was separation from God. But God was going, he was putting his plan into action. He wasn't done. Right there in Genesis 3.15, there's, there's, a, there's a hint, there's a, there's a promise of Jesus right there in the garden. He goes to work. That's what we're talking about today. God doing work. In Genesis 3.15, he puts his plan into work. And the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of this glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. So what is God's work? It's Almighty God initiating reconciliation or restored relationship with him or with rebels who have exchanged him for themselves. Got that? Tracking? All right. So how does he accomplish reconciliation? What, how, does, how does that happen? Or in other words, how is he bringing sinful rebels into the presence of his holiness? How does that happen? Look at verse 19. First, right there in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's how. In Christ. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Look up just at the next verse, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Jesus Christ is the means through which we are being reconciled. Paul unpacks it in verse 21. Look at verse 21. 
For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean that he made him to be sin, who knew no sin? It means he was counted guilty instead of us. Right? Isaiah 53, 4-6 says he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He willingly, on, on, later on in that verse, he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. You and me. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not, not on your best day. Even if it was, it, it, your best is not good enough. On your worst day, we were enemies. That's when he died for you. Romans 5.10, right? A few verses later, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. I'm sorry. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen? That's good. Y'all can say it. That's all right. We can talk. <laughs> we were enemies. I, I didn't know if I was going to share this. I will, though. Our son, uh, Jackson, when he was four months old, got diagnosed with a condition that needed, he needed head surgery. And um, they had to take his skull off. His bones had grown, fused together too quick. So he had, they had to take his whole skull off and advance his forehead like a centimeter to give his brain room to grow. That's the short end. But I remember the morning he was going back into surgery, and his little lifeless body was laying on the table there and they were rolling it back and it hit me. I was it's like this is this is what you did. You put your son on the table. And then it was like, well, yeah, hold on. Yes, but no. You're doing this for Jackson's good. Right? He's gonna he's gonna hurt. He he couldn't even see because the, the swelling was so for a day and a half, the swelling was so bad. We knew it was gonna hurt him. But it was for his good. God, right there in that moment, was like, I, I put my son on the table for you, and it wasn't for Jesus' good. It was for your good. And you love Jackson. He loves you. Right? I did that for you, and you were my enemy. You were spitting on me, and I did that for you. We were enemies of God, and he gives Jesus. This is etern- Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, he came to restore a relationship between us and God. He did what we couldn't do. He came to live the perfect life none of us could do. He died the death we all deserve, and he came back to life, offering life for all of us in him. I want to point out one more characteristic of the world right here, because this is really important. Paul's not saying that everyone in the world is being reconciled to him. 
come one, come all, with whatever God you choose to bring to the equation. That's not what he's getting at here. And that's not what he's saying. See? It's confirmation. No, he's saying that God is doing all of this in Christ. So you must be in Christ to be reconciled to God. Acts 4.13, Peter says, There is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So are you in Christ? Are you in him? Are you found in Christ? If you are, ask him to show you the length to which he went to bring you and to get you there. Right? We all need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. If not, you may be thinking, I don't need Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans 2.4 that God's kindness towards you was meant, was meant uh, to lead you to repentance. Everything good that's, been, that's going on in your life, if you're not a child of God, is trying to point you to the creator himself, not the creation. Those are beautiful mountains out there, but they're not God. All of you possess awesome gifts, but your gift is not God. Give your life to Jesus and understand and confess that you're a rebel and enemy to his perfection and that there's nothing you can do. Confess, turn away from that rebellion and turn to perfection. Turn to God's holiness. He's sitting there waiting on you. Come on. I gave my son for you. I love you. Let him come in and save you. Be your savior and the Lord of your life. For you to enjoy through a relationship with you. It's the only way your heart, the only way your heart will ever be fully content. I promise. He's reconciling the whole world to himself. Everyone who's being reconciled in Jesus. People from, I, I think, right here in this room. Right here in this room. Burlington. He's, he's drawing people to himself right now. That's what God's doing. He's doing it in Vermont. He's doing it in our nation. He's doing it in Indonesia. He's doing it in Peru. He's doing it in Brazil. He's doing it all over the world. Just like Paul tells the church at Colossae, what's going on in your church is the, the gospel is increasing and growing all over the world. Just look at your church, and that's what's happening everywhere. Man, come on. Woo. All right. So now I want to look at three implications out of God's work. God is, God is restoring a broken people, you and me, to himself. He's restoring that relationship between him and the Father, us and the Father. He initiates. It's his work. He's doing it. So let's look at three implications out of that. What comes out of God's work? Everything he's doing everywhere. You can't even see. You can't even fathom. He's working on so many different dimensions. It would blow. It blow. Yeah, it'll blow your mind if you're just thinking about it. How many different lives he's, he's working in and how many different things he's... Oh, man, it's blow your mind. All right, let's look at it. 
three things from this text, three things from, from out of here that I see are as implications of God's work. One, he gives us a new identity. Two, he gives us a new perspective. And three, he gives us a new mission. Okay, let's look at it. Don't take my word for it. Verse 17, a new identity. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Don't fall into our culture's narrative. Don't reduce yourself to, to your desires or your abilities or anything that you can add to your name in this world. Don't fall into that. Don't think emptying yourself to yourself will help you find yourself. Find your inner God. No, all of that's fluid, and it changes and it crumbles. And when it crumbles, you'll crumble with it. If your identity is not rock solid on Jesus Christ. Our hearts are deceitful. So deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9. And desperately sick, who can understand it? Man, don't follow yourself. Give yourself away to Jesus. Look at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. Who we are as a new creation in Christ. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been chosen, adopted, redeemed, lavished with grace. Unconditionally loved, obtained an eternal inheritance. We are pure, blameless, and forgiven. We've received the hope of spending eternity with God. Ephesians 1, go look at it. Don't take my word for it, please. That's who the new you is. That's who we are in Christ. The old has passed away. It's gone. This means the old you is dead. You've been reborn in Christ if you, are, if you put your faith and trust in him. When you give your life to Jesus and treasure him above all else, oh man, it's good stuff. Your soul will be so more full than it has ever been. Why? Because it's dead to that which was destroying you before Christ. It's dead to that stuff, right? The old you is gone, but here's the thing, and this is tricky. The presence of sin still remains in our broken world. We, we're still fighting constantly with sin. We're not out, we're not, we haven't been glorified. We're not there yet. We don't see Jesus face to face yet, but it's coming. It's coming. I pray that you are ready to say, when, when you see God face to face, and he says, what you got? <laughs> Nothing. Jesus. That's it. Oh, please be ready. So we live. The presence of sin still remains, right? But here's the thing. The penalty and the power of sin has been destroyed by Jesus on the cross. Yeah, come on. The penalty and power of sin have been destroyed. God gave you his only son to give you a rock-solid identity, rock-solid that will never crumble. And that is a result of God's work. You are a new creation in him. The, dead is, the old is dead. 
when we know who we are in Christ, we gladly bring others in. We gladly bring others in who are more gifted than us. Why? Well, because we see them as assets to God's kingdom rather than threats to our individual kingdoms. So true. We can boast in our weaknesses because we're secure enough to do it in Jesus. We can genuinely love when other people do well. We can appreciate differences in people. I can appreciate that Ben has perfect hair, whether he's working out or whether he's preaching. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate Michael has beautifully spiked hair wherever we go. And I can be secure enough in Jesus to say, my hair is falling out. Amen? Amen. It takes us all, right? Paul tells the Corinthians here to behold. Behold this new creation. Behold. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's like saying, look, look, the new has come. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Remind yourself. Don't miss it. Don't miss today that you're his if you are. Behold that. Because the enemy will throw everything he can at you to tell you you're not. The Apostle John referred to himself the one whom Jesus loved. I love that. The one, who are you? I'm the one Jesus loves. <laughs> I want to challenge you this week to take some time to sit down with this, maybe go to Ephesians 1 to use as your framework. Sit down with the Lord and his word and ask him who you are in him. Write it down. Put it somewhere where you'll see it regularly. Or better yet, go tell someone who you are in Christ. Next, he gives us a new perspective. God first, he well, not first. He gives us a new identity. I don't know if these are sequential. That's, that's, that's on his side of things. He gives us a new identity, but he also gives us a new perspective. Look in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Let me say that again. From now on, therefore, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. This is the CSB version, in case you're wondering. The ESV says we regard him thus no longer. We don't see him the way we used to. Our vision, if we're in Christ, has been affected. We see the world and Christ through a new lens. It's like when you go to the eye doctor and he puts, you know, get in there and he's like, this good? No. This good? Yep. This good? Yep. You know, you get the little lenses that pop down. You know what I'm talking about? You all been there? In Christ, it's like, boom! God! Look who God is! Infinite worth! Whoa! Hey, do you, do you know who God is? Oh, you do? Okay, let's do life together. Make me better. That's the lens. We're, we're viewing everything. We got a new perspective, new grid. 
once we viewed God before Christ, once we viewed him as less than worthy, and now he's, he's the most worthy in all the universe. He's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Man, Jesus should continue to look more and more beautiful to us every single day. We, see, we don't see God the way we used to. How do we see God differently, just practically, every day? How do we do that? Abide in Jesus. Abide in him. Just go to the gospel. Remain aware of his presence. Grow in your knowledge and intimacy with him through the word and prayer and community with others. Ask him questions. Tell him your heart. Laugh with him. Cry with him. Sing songs to him. Enjoy Jesus. He's a perfectly happy God. Next, we don't see others the way we used to. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Anyone. Whether Christian or non-Christian. If they're Christian, we're now seeing family. Instead of just some other dude who loves God. It's family. It's a brother. Let's do life. Family spends time with each other. That's why we do community groups. It's not just this. right? We get to know each other. Do life outside of this. We laugh together, we hurt, we hope, we forgive each other, we mess up together. When you get some time, write this verse down, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Go check out what the church is supposed to look like right there. Have you ever thought about this? When God comes back and we go and we're with him forever, it's not just going to be you individually looking and worshiping God and living this new amazing life in a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be all of us together in perfect community doing that. You ever thought about that? It's going to just keep on going. This is just this is an imperfect picture of what it's about to be. We don't see non-Christians the same. We're now seeing people in the grocery store that need Jesus like we need Jesus. We see our neighbors to love because... Christ first loved us. We see our coworkers that don't have a rock-solid eternal hope like we do. We see a community that needs to see the gospel lived out and hear why. We see someone at the gas pump, others in Burlington, in Vermont, in this nation, Indonesia, Peru, Brazil, you name it. We see them in a different light. We see them as Jesus sees them. So how do we see what Jesus is doing all around us and in other people's lives? Abide in Jesus. Hearing something similar here, abide in Jesus. Remain aware of his presence. Sink the teeth of your faith into the gospel. It's going to be really hard for you to understand the grace that we just sang about that's been given to you and you not wanting other people to know. And if you don't feel that, you need to ask God why. Help me understand what you did for me. You lavished grace on me when I was your enemy. We are called to join him in his work, not call him into ours. 
right? We are called to join him in his work. Not, hey, come on, I want to, let's go. Follow me. We've got, in the day-to-day grind, we have got to be aware of the presence of God or we're, we're going to miss what he's doing all around us. It gives us a new identity, a new perspective, and lastly, gives us a new mission. In our text, Paul points out that God reconciles to himself, reconciles us to himself, and then brings us into his work. He gives us this new mission in life. Look at, let's start with verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Next verse says, in, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. There's our mission. God reconciles us and then includes us. Come on. Come on, jump on. He includes us in this grand redemptive plan that he's been just going after by making us ambassadors or representatives or image bearers, just like he had originally intended. We see this in the Old Testament. Over and over. God started in Genesis 3.15 right there. His plan went into work. And all throughout the Old Testament, right? God's doing his thing. And people are just jumping on board. Just jumping on board all the way through the history. All the way through. God's doing his thing. His purpose will prevail. I promise. But you see all these characters, Abraham, Moses, they're all just jumping on board to get get involved with what God's doing. I've been in different U.S. embassies around the world, and when you step onto the property, <laughs> you are legally in a jurisdiction that is under the sovereignty of the United States of America. There's something comforting about stepping onto the property. When I step off those grounds, I'm legally outside of the sovereignty of the United States. There are ambassadors in foreign lands all over our world, and they're representing a higher entity, the United States of America. As ambassadors of the one true God, we get to bear the image of Christ in a world that's also not our home. This is not it. Thank the Lord. We get to bear the image of him here. We're carrying the banner of a higher entity, the highest entity, God Almighty we can gladly and confidently step into his work knowing that it will be all accomplished because the extent of his reign and rule is endless. His sovereignty, is, there's no limit. So we don't just see, uh, see God and others. We don't see, just see other people as, see them differently, but we have this mission to connect. We can connect the dots. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Help them connect the dots with what, what's going on and what God's doing. That God loves them. Here's something I want us to really think about. How can we specifically, not just generally, but specifically, be more intentional with the mission God has given us and where he has us in this season of life? Every single one of us in here, let's think about that. God's given you a mission. Work, family, 
friends, co-workers. We, our lives, if, if, if you were just to look at the people in this room and, and the extent that, that our lives cover, it's, it's broad sweeping, right? And if, what if all of us were incredibly intentional about being aware of the presence of God and letting him speak to us and say, hey, I'm doing this over here. Listen, come over here, talk to this dude. Come over here and just listen to this dude. What if? So to summarize, conclude, by his grace, God is restoring a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who have rebelled against his perfect design through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's inviting us into it. He's given us a new identity in Christ, along with a new perspective and mission that he's doing. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't need any of us. If you are quiet, the rocks will cry out, he said. I was talking with my father-in-law, Donnie, this weekend about the book of Revelation. And it's the end of times. It's the last book of the Bible. And um, it gives us a glimpse into what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But we were talking about how a main point of the book is to see that God will finish what he started in the garden. We get a glimpse into the extent of God's rule and his reign by seeing the result of reconciliation. It's awesome. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been drawing people to himself. And there it is, boom. C.S. Lewis expounds on this, on the end result of God's work, or the completion of his redemptive work in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. He says, as he... Aslan spoke. He no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all that stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's what happens. That's what happens when God's done with his work. And we get to be in that. This is the end result of his grand redemptive work for those who intimately know and treasure him. Reconciliation is only the beginning of the story that God is writing where every page turned is better than the one before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in us. Lord, I pray that we would be captivated by your majesty. I pray that we would look to you for all of who we are. I pray that we would look to you and be in awe. God, thank you for stepping out of heaven 
We have Jesus coming to live the life that we couldn't and die for us, putting all of our sin on you and then coming back to life. Lord, it's easy for people to claim to be God, but not so much to claim they can be resurrected and much less do it like you did. God, would you bring us into your work? Would you show us where you're working? Would you give us eyes to see people as you see them? And Lord, refine, refine in us the mission that you have for us wherever you have us, right here and right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.